if you've got a Bible, we're, we're, so this morning, uh, Laura's given me, the text should be on the screen actually, Laura's given me like half a verse, sometimes you get a chapter or a book, um, this morning uh, the, the target is half a verse, uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 6, 14a, um, so, I, so um, shall I read it or can we read it together? <laughs> Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? Right, what's next? Worship. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I pray you should look at your word together. As we open your word, that it would be a lamp to our feet. Lord, that it would open and illuminate. Lord, help us to be hear what your spirit says. Holy Spirit, come. Take absolute truth and speak it into the practical reality of our lives in Jesus name Amen Amen um, when I was uh, I said I wouldn't say any more Uganda stories sorry I lied um, when, when I was preaching uh, I always try to learn one phrase in the local language it's always, they really love it if you learn their language it's an awful language right? really awful all over the place but I always try to learn one phrase, and they really love it if you do. If you get it wrong, they don't mind. I always say it in English first. Um, so, so one of my phrases is, Orendela alatararu ne a ama alia. Holy Spirit lives in each one of you. I think. <laughs> it might mean my donkey's done a poo, for I know, but. <laughs> you have to get the pronoun- It's not just it's the pronunciation that's right. So, <laughs> Holy Spirit lives in us. And Paul is writing here to a church in Corinth in a really tough situation. It's a pagan city. Oh, my word, do we live in a pagan culture? You notice it more coming back from Uganda. Uganda. Schools have assemblies where, like, they worship. The school I went to visit quite a lot, they had an issue where the, another school was going to come and do them over because they won a football match. And the school had a prayer meeting. I mean, can you imagine that in the UK? Right? The whole school came together in the hall to pray. <laughs> and they didn't just pray like, Lord, save us. It was, we want to bind the demons, the, the spiritual powers that are at work here. Yeah? I mean, it's just, it's just that, that uh, there's a Christianity in the culture. Hang on. There are individuals who love Jesus. There are individuals who don't think about it at all, atheistic. And there's ones that are nominal Christians. But the culture somehow is much more embedded in what it is to be a Christian than the West. I mean, I could stand up in assembly in the days when I did assemblies and, and, and say I love Jesus. But I wouldn't have dared got the whole of challenges to pray against demons. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't do it twice anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> we live in a very a culture. Uh, the, you know, we, we're a, we're a bubble. We know Jesus. We love Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit is present here this morning, everywhere. The Holy Spirit is present. But out there, when you go out, it's a culture that's gone a long way from what it is to be a Christian. Amen. And and you don't. But the trouble is, it has. It has signs, it has aspects of goodness about it, of moral goodness. The Christianity is not about being morally good, it's about knowing Jesus and being transformed, but it works out in living good lives. You shall be holy, for I am holy, 1 Peter. 
It's, it's, that verse always strikes me as partly a threat as well as a promise. <laughs> you shall be holy. I'm not going to give up on you until you're holy. It's not just a promise. It is a promise, but it's also like, you know, we've got to sort this out, boys, um, girls and whatever. Um, holy, holy. So, but, but our culture sometimes seems, people say so often, oh, they're a good person. And sometimes the pagans out there are good people. They are moral people. Sometimes they are more moral than some of my friends who are Christians. But our culture is a long way from a Christian culture, and yet it, it has aspects where we shall, you know, have come from Christian background, and we have, you know, people still think it's wrong to murder people and stuff like that, right? And, and so it doesn't appear as pagan as Corinth appeared pagan. They were like all these temples to all the gods on the hills, right? Aphrodite and the, you know. Temple prostitutes and all that sort of stuff. We don't have that. Like, at least, if there is, I've not found it in Hammersham. <laughs> if you know of a, an Aphrodite temple with prostitutes, don't tell me. Um, it's not there, is it? We don't get that sort of direct thing. But, but don't be misled into the sense that we live in a Christian culture. We live in a post-Christian culture. God has the power to transform that and break in. God has the power to come and do revival, really, so that people as a whole come to say, we're wrong, we've got to turn around to, be, to repent. And we pray for that. But for us, we live in it. We live in a culture, not un, in one sense, spiritually, not unlike the Corinthians, in a culture which is not conducive to us living as, as Christians. And their culture perhaps, perhaps was easier to see the temptations, but nonetheless, they lived Christian church, planted in Corinth in a very pagan city, trying to live out for Jesus. And Paul writes to them, and this letter is a really honest letter in lots of ways. In this letter, very often he's defending himself. He doesn't want to, but he has to. You see how tough it is for him sometimes in this letter. He's quite open, this letter, I think. And here, he, I think he's talking about, about not being linked to idolatry. I want to say something about this verse, try and explain it. And then I want to take a principle, which I think comes a bit later on in the passage. I'm going to take a bit more verses and then land it with where I think it works for us. Is that okay? So there's three things. So you can relax and get comfortable on the awful benches. It's actually better standing up here than sitting there. Um, I just don't know how many of those plastic garden chairs there are in Africa. Do you know the things I mean? There are buildings filled with those plastic garden chairs. I don't know who patented those plastic garden chairs, but there's hun absolutely hundreds of thousands of them around the world. They're much more comfortable than these things. Uh, anyway, I've got to get to, sorry, passage. This has been used, I mean, uh, most times I use this verse, it's with young people about the issue of marriage. Do not be unequally yoked. Do not decide to marry a non-Christian. And, and I don't think that's wrong, by the way, I think that's, that's, a, that's a, it's a right application of this verse. It's not the only application, I don't think. It's not, it doesn't just apply to that. And I think sometimes uh, in the church, we're sort of guilty of taking things as set verses and then only applying it to one place and not seeing the full impact. I married a Christian. I'm okay. Move on. What's next? Paul, I think, Paul's a Pharisee. Remember, he's Old Testament trained. There's no doubt in his mind, he's thinking, I didn't send the pictures, did I? Bother. Uh, he's thinking of this verse in Deuteronomy, which is well known. Not quite as well known as 2 Corinthians. 
And, and I got a picture, so I forgot to send it, sorry, Paul, it's my bad. I got a picture of a, an oxen and a uh, donkey yoked together. And of course, it's nonsense because the oxen's big, strong, and huge, and the donkey's was still quite strong, actually, but much smaller. And so you yoke two animals together the same, don't you? So that they pull together. If you yoke a, an oxen and a donkey, presumably it like goes in a circle. <laughs> right? Uh, it just doesn't make sense. And, and Paul uses, I'm sure that's part of Paul's background, and like agricultural background as well. I'm sure that's why he used this, this example to say to the Christians in Corinth don't get into legally binding things, into life commitments with people who aren't believers. Because you'll want to go one way and they'll want to go the other. And it will give stress for you. And it's remarkably, you know, clear and sensible. And I'm sure he's talking about lots of things, probably marriage, because of other stuff as well. Don't choose your life partner where one of you loves Jesus and one doesn't, because it gives you problems. And he's saying as well about business, possibly. You know, don't get involved in business relationships with someone. If you go into a, if you run a company, you're looking at having a part, doing a partnership with somebody or some contract, look at it and say, I am a Christian living for Jesus in a pagan culture. Am I binding myself to someone, something, some group, some activity, yeah, which is not going to let me run for Jesus? And that's what he's getting at. And, and that's fine. And in a way, I can sort of leave it there, really. And you have to ask Holy Spirit, you know, for yourself. And don't look backwards, look forwards. Uh, don't think about what you have done. Sometimes maybe God convicts that. But going forward, I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to tie myself to think people and stuff in this culture that will drag me away from Jesus. Particularly because it's sometimes very subtle and I don't even notice it happening. Do you get I want to be tied to Jesus only. However, I want to say that I think this verse is used, and I've heard it preached on, indeed I've preached on it myself, um, wrongly, not because I've applied it wrongly, but because it seems to me that it's very common sense. And Paul doesn't give it as common sense. It goes on like this. Do not be, almost no one knows the second bit, by the way. Almost everyone knows. Do not be yoked to unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Now, he made his point, and now he goes on. And this is where it like, makes me feel like, oof. He says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Answer? Nothing. Further away, you can't be. What harmony is between Christ and Belial, a name for Satan? Between Christ and Satan? Are you comp- what he's saying is, who, what does a believer have in common with unbeliever? Next verse. Click, 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 click. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are, temple of, we are the temple of God. I'll come back to that in a second. Paul isn't just saying it's good common sense, my friends. And I want to say in principle, quite a lot of the Bible, quite a lot of what God says through his word, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we sometimes take as common sense, not as having deep spiritual reasons behind it. And the trouble with common sense is, I can overrule it. It's common sense not to wash electrical equipment in soapy water. But 
My sandwich toaster is absolutely covered in stale cheese and baked beans. And so I plunge it into a bowl of soapy water, scrub it clean, take it out dry, and it's fine. And I haven't died yet. Agreed? I can overall common sense, because I'm sort of like, yeah, yeah, but in general, that's sensible. <laughs> but in this case, I'm going to break it. In general, it's good to have proper, I can't see one now on the front, typical, isn't it? Proper fused 13 amp plugs, you know what I mean? Yeah? Um, which have earth pins and fuses in them. Um, the last time I wired up PA, I had to use a pencil to push into the earth socket to open the shutters and push two bare wires into the contacts and then pull the pencil out so the shutters held. That is not sensible, is it? <laughs> but I can override my common sense because I know what I'm doing. Make sense? Do you see where this is going? You see, scripture isn't like that. When God says stuff to us, it's very easy sometimes. I'm talking to myself here. Let's be clear about this. It's very easy sometimes to think, yeah, that's very sensible. And indeed, if God tells you how to behave, it will be sensible because he knows what's best for you. He doesn't tell you to do stuff to make it hard for you. He tells you how to live because it's good for you. That's the way to live. He loves you. Amen. But sometimes, I know, I can read stuff and hear Holy Spirit say stuff to me, either direct you know, written word or rima word or prophetic word, and think, oh, that's sensible. That's good common sense. But it's so much more than that sometimes. And we run the risk, I think, as a church and as a people, of allowing that common sense sort of judgment thing to stand over sometimes the words of Scripture and the words of Holy Spirit. And Paul says this stuff here, and he lays it on with a trowel about the fact that it's like, because uh, uh, you can see the spiritual background behind it. Now, let's be clear about this, Jesus. Everything we do that's, you know, don't, don't please no one get guilty at all here, because if we do stuff and get it wrong, God forgives us and it's perfect, okay? But looking forward, I want to say primarily this morning, if God's given you a word, whether it be like something you've read in the Bible, that's clear, or a prophet prophet words backed by it, it's probably not just good advice. <laughs> it's probably a bit more than that. Do you get? And it's a bit more than that because God understands the spiritual battle going on. He sees Cheshire boys. I mean, I see Cheshire boys and think, oh, my word, there's so many flowers. I love the fact they haven't mowed the borders, by the way. Whose idea was that? I love, is that you? Is that you? No? I love the no mow may. You know, if I, you walk through Cheshire, but there's like, it's like great. There's like bees everywhere and flowers and stuff, right? Um, unlike Uganda's pretty fertile, but it's very Really, brown, really, brown. I love this place. But God looks at it and sees a pagan culture and a bunch of people, faithful even for Jesus, who need to be different. And last week, Laurie stood here and said something about offence. But he says he's called here to offend people, to offend the culture. Do you remember that? Now, I don't think you do that intentionally. Um, you know, the Bible says, you know, be willing to give reason for the faith that's in you, but in graciousness and love. We shouldn't go out to offend people, but if we live for Jesus, we will offend people. It's just That's just life, actually. Sometimes we'll say, like, I'm sorry, I can't enter that contract because I'm a believer and you don't. I can't work with you on this project because. For 2 Corinthians you know, 
But I want to make the principle not, it's not just this verse. I think elsewhere, lots of stuff. I won't go some examples. I don't think there was time to. Yeah. Um, lots of places. I want, my general point here is if God's told us, he's, it's maybe common sense and logical, but it's more than that. It's a thing from Father who understands and knows us completely and knows the way the world is completely. And he doesn't tell you stuff to hurt you. He tells you stuff to look after you. And obedience to what he says sometimes comes at, though I think I can cope with this, I'm not going to do it, God, because you said not to. Or I'm going to do this because... No. Let's just take a moment and pray about that, can we? Just take a moment. I don't want to run away from that too fast. Be open to Holy Spirit. So, Father, I just want to, just I come in confession. For any times when I felt I'm cleverer than Scripture, for the times when I thought, actually, that doesn't really apply to me here. I'm sorry, God. And, Father, I want to work. I want to walk in absolute obedience to what you say through your living word and through your written word. Even if the world thinks I'm mad. Amen. Just a side thought on that. Holy Spirit says sometimes you've got to wait for things. Sometimes God's word to us, we want it now, and it has to wait. The word has to wait its time of completion. And we find that really hard. I think there's a temptation in me sometimes, knowing roughly what God has said and where it's going, to push for it now, rather than wait until God's time comes. can say that and yeah sometimes you have to wait for the word to come to fruition it's true father if that's for us this morning just help us to stand before you and wait amen and he goes on i will live he god said i will live with them amen hey after me orendella alatoraru ne I'm oh, sorry, Orindella. Alatoraru. Ne. Ama. Alia. Right, woo! That's what it's about. It's amazing. Holy God, and the transcendent God, chooses to come and make his home in me. God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be your father to you and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Amen. And we're on yoke. Oh, yokes. We're on yokes this morning, aren't we? Um, <laughs> one of the weird things about Uganda is that egg yolks are white. And the first time you have one, you think, ugh. But it might have something to do with what chickens eat. I don't know. But they, they taste okay. They just look white. But where's the other passage? Come on, Cheshire boys. Uh, where does yoke come up apart from 2 Corinthians 6.14? Where else does yokes come up? 
Good, it'll be good. Screen. You see, Jesus said, and I, I, whether Paul had this in mind as well, who knows, depending on how that, that comes around, but Jesus said, come to me when you're heavy laden, sorry, weary and burdened, I'm quoting the BCP, sorry. Come all to me, you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sometimes our need is for rest. Life is just tough sometimes. And Jesus appeals to you, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, if I had my slides, I forgot my pictures, I'm really sorry. Two yoke, oxen together, pull together, right? Oxen and donkey, like, goes in circles. I had a picture of an oxen and, and, and a very small version of me being carried by the yoke. I mean, the, the bar, that makes sense? So the oxen's struggling along, and I'm just floating in the air, <laughs> doing diddly squat, really. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes Jesus says, look, this is just tough at the moment. Just lean on me, and I'll do the work. I want to be bound. I want to be contractually bound to Jesus and nothing else. I want to be so that my reference of what is right, wrong, and where I'm flipping going is Jesus and nothing else. Now, it may not be easy to achieve it always, and sometimes I can do a bit of walking, but sometimes I'm just going to be carried by the yoke, to be honest. Sometimes it is him and him alone at this moment. All I can do is say, Lord, I can't. And if you like that, that's, that's, that's absolutely part of the promise of what God says, because he come to live with you. Why Paul is worried about the Corinthians messing up and getting involved in bad contracts and stuff, is he wants them to be clean and live for Jesus. And the yoking we should accept is to Jesus, absolutely, completely. So that my life, my future, my decisions are totally linked to what he wants. Amen? I can go on for this for a long time, but you've had enough now, haven't you? It's not Africa, is it? We can't go on to three in the afternoon, can we? Though to be fair, I will never, ever, 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 ever again going to complain about people turning up late for church services. I mean, you were all here within five minutes of the start, rather than three hours from the start, like happens sometimes. So I bless you for that. John, you want to come back, mate? I'm going to land it there.